This is Greg Olson, inviting you to check out my new Blue Wire podcast, TE1, where I interview tight ends throughout the history of the NFL who have helped revolutionize the position. TE1 is presented by the Chevy Silverado. The Silverado is all about grit. It's strong and dependable, exactly like playing tight end. Just like the incredible players we sit down with on the podcast, the Chevy Silverado is in a league of its own. Strong, advanced, and dependable. Download TE1 today, wherever you listen to podcasts. Blue Wire. The Denver Nuggets select Michael Porter Jr. But I'm going to make sure that this pick is this organization's best pick they've ever made. Forrest inside. Jokic, Hello and welcome in to a new edition of the Rocky Mountain Hoops Podcast, part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I am your host, TJ McBride from MileHighSports.com, your home for all Colorado sports, and the Denver Nuggets are going to Game 7. I cannot believe this. Anybody who has listened to me on this show, going all the way back to when the season started, I thought there was no chance that Denver was going to be able to match up with either of the LA teams in a playoff series and and find a way to advance. I thought that they might be able to make things interesting. Seven-game series wasn't like out of my brain, but Denver has found a way to put themselves not only in the area that they belong with the contenders in the NBA, but that they can actually exceed them depending on the matchup and depending on how particular things shake out. And here the Denver Nuggets are. They just got done beating the Clippers 111-98. to That is a 13-point win after being down by 19 points in the second quarter. Nikola Jokic had 33, I believe. Um, 34, 14-7 in this game on 60% shooting. Jamal Murray had 21-5-5 on 70% shooting. Denver was so, so good in this one. And it was sustained. They had struggles in the second quarter, but they were still playing well. They played well from start to finish in this one. And now, here they are. Despite being down 3-1 in the second series in a row, they are now going to Game 7 for the second series in a row. Not only that, this is now their fourth game series in four playoff series going back to last year. Not only that, this was also following their Game 82 play-in game that they had with the Minnesota Timberwolves the year before. So this is now the third straight season for the Denver Nuggets where their season is going to end hinging on a win-or-go-home game. That is incredibly encouraging that the Nuggets have had to fight their way to this position, but it's also incredibly encouraging for their potential to win Game 7 against the Clippers. They have shown they can hang with this team now, and that is so beyond exciting for the Denver Nuggets organization, for the fans of the organization, for the people on the roster. This has been the biggest leap I have seen from the Denver Nuggets thus far. They feel like they belong for the first time in this iteration of the Denver Nuggets. We talked about all of that, and when I say we... I mean the consistent friend of this show at this point, Kendra Andrews of The Athletic. She's the lead Denver Nuggets beat writer there. She has bylines the Denver Vertical and the Nuggets Vertical. And she does great, great, great work. She covers the team just as much as I do, if not even more. So having her on to kind of look into all of this chaos, to kind of you know discern through what worked, what didn't work, what happened, what was the most impactful, what wasn't was very beneficial for both of us to kind of get an idea of whatever the hell we just watched happen. So I hope you guys enjoy it as much as we had fun recording it. This also is a podcast that is brought to you by Indeed. It is also brought to you by NFL Sunday Ticket as well as Bet Online. And as you heard at the very top of the show, make sure you go check out Greg Olson's new podcast on the Blue Wire Podcast Network, TE1, discussing all the intricacies of the tight end position. But We're going to take our first break. I'm going to come back and talk to you about Indeed real quick for job search stuff. And then on the other end will be my conversation with Kendra Andrews of The Athletic. Even though sports have had a break, your business did not. You have to keep moving and that makes hiring more important than ever. 
Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people and fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need and you can pause your account at any time. There are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier, like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the important hire you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. So right now, Indeed is offering our listeners of the Rocky Mountain Hoops podcast and the Blue Wire podcast network a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it and fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions do apply and the offer is valid through September 30th. Welcome back into the Rocky Mountain Hoops podcast. As always, seemingly nowadays, I am joined by the great Kendra Andrews of The Athletic, Nuggets lead beat writer over there. Kenny, how are you doing? Are you, is your mental state ready to discuss <laughs> what we just saw happen? Maybe. We'll Maybe find the out. right way to bring <laughs> this. This might have to become a new thing on this podcast. Is what the fuck happened with Kendra Andrews? Because like that's, that's kind of been our go-to with these I know, shows. You always you always bring me in when when no one knows what happened. Mm-hmm. So I sound like I don't know anything because I'm just like I don't know. <laughs> you know what? I'm gonna pull the curtain back even further. When you and I have no idea how to approach a story or haven't gotten our minds fully working yet, we decide to just get in front of a microphone and see what comes out of our mouths, and that's kind of led but to. Conversations. I agree with you. The reason we have no idea what the fuck is going on is the Nuggets just won 111 to 98 in game six of the second round of the playoffs against the Los Angeles Clippers, staving off elimination now the fifth time this postseason. And in that process, they managed to outscore the Clippers 64 to 35 in the second half. Denver was down by 19 and then was up by 16 at one point, all within the second half. Like, I, where the hell does your mind go to when you start thinking about this game? I, I don't know. Like, I, I, yes. I don't know because, and, and, you know, some of the players talked about this post game. Um, you know, a lot of times when there are these huge swings, it's like, okay, well, what, what was the momentum shifter? What was the spark that got you guys going in game four was the Paul Millsap. Montrez Harold was it? No, Mark, Marcus, Marcus Morris Senior. Yeah. Yes, excuse, excuse me. Um, little tiff that they had on, on the baseline. But this game, like they couldn't even say what was it that shifted you guys into just that like crazy dominant game. And that's the thing. It wasn't like scrapping back and forth down the stretch. It was just pure and utter dominance. And I think the crazy thing is, is that I guess where my mind kind of goes is I'm just spewing all out there now is for most of that span down the stretch I think the Clippers kind of just started shooting themselves in the foot but for most of that stretch everything that was happening was under the Nuggets power like they created everything on the floor their makes and the Clippers misses the Clippers weren't they couldn't blame it on themselves it was the Nuggets defense that was getting them totally out of rhythm and then down the stretch as I said I think they kind of started just they just lost everything that the Clippers did. But um, I think for most of that stretch, the Nuggets just dictated everything. And that's not something that we've seen them do for such a long period of time. I think we've seen them do that in spurts, but not for pretty much the entire second half, which is what they did this morning. It was so impressive to see the way that they were like, no, we're not losing. Like, I don't care what the optics are, what the narratives are that exist. I don't care that Jamal Murray just went down. I don't care that Nikola Jokic was kind of off. I don't care about Porter wanting more shots and Millsap struggling and Torrey Craig. Like, none of it mattered anymore. There was a moment, it felt like, where everything kind of just was let go. 
Denver just no longer gave a shit. And like, it's funny. I can't remember. I think it was Monte Morris or as Jamal Murray said, whenever I like hear you guys ask questions about things that other media have said about us, I just turn my phone off. Like it doesn't mm-hmm. bother us. Yeah. I think that there's a maturity level in this Nuggets team that none of us had given credit to. It's always been the young team. I mean, they're all like under 26. So there's no like that's factually that they are young. They now are going to have 28 playoff games of experience after just two years of making it. Like those are the kind of experience moments where you can be like, all right, we can trust these guys. They can just go out there and dominate and believe in themselves. Do you think that kind of based off of, I think, it was Jamal Murray who made the comment about turning his phone off and stuff because obviously there are from outside voices there are no real expectations for this team especially against the team that they're playing right now do you think that them like with so many people just counting them out and the like do you think that that allows them to just play looser and do this type of stuff in game 7 because literally like and I'm I'm genuinely asking cuz no, I don't I, know cuz they always say well when our backs against the wall it just allows us to play so much looser and we don't think about all this stuff do you think the fact that yes of course they have expectations for themselves but no one else has expectations for them allows them to play even more with that well, we got nothing to lose mindset no like I and then like I don't know the answer to that but I'm just trying to figure out why this team thrives so well in these elimination situations see i think i'm gonna take it a different route i think this is a malone thing i really do like i think we need to give michael malone more credit to have his guys believe him when he says yes we're down 3-1 but we still got this how many people would like i don't care if it like you and i talk basketball i probably more than talk hoops with like anybody and if you came to me and said oh no denver's gonna win i'd be like kendra you're fucking wrong that, that's right. it's very nice, but no way. So what has Malone done to get that team to fully believe that? What has he done to get them to believe all of those words that he says? Because it's not just that Denver listens. They then regurgitate it back to the media in the exact way that Malone said it. I really believe Malone got through to these guys. He was the one that was like, listen, we really don't have any pressure. Like I've been to all of these. I've seen all of these things happen already in my career. It doesn't matter. Let go and just play. And they listened to him. And I really think that Malone is that, that missing link that we're not able to find because one, Malone won't float his own boat. And two, I don't know how, if it's that easy for the players to even see. And this is just something they've naturally kind of existed within as they've grown with this team. So Maybe that's something we're overlooking. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I don't know. It's just so interesting to me because I'm, I think about the Jazz series. The Nuggets were expected to win yeah. the Jazz series, right? So I'm like, okay, when you're down 3-1, what are you telling your team when you're expected to win this series versus when you're down 3-1 against the team that you're not expected mm-hmm. to win? Do you, do you tell them that same message that you just said or, or like – and according it, to Malone, yes, that's the, yes, what they have done. It's just, so, it's so interesting to me how that can be such a consistent message, no matter who you're playing, no matter what, what it is. I don't, and it takes a lot, especially for young guys. I think you, you mentioned we don't give them enough credit for maturity. I think that really shows it that like they can block it out because I feel like that's not a lot of things young guys can do. I really feel like Malone allowed them to grow into that maturity too. Like there, like he, there was, there's never like everyone will talk about the playing time and this and that, but like in terms of the interpersonal relationships that Michael Malone has with his guys that mm-hmm. help them develop the thought processes that lead to them playing well, like that's totally. where Malone thrives as a head coach. And like, like I'm done. People like, and this is the thing, like there's a lot of really, really smart media that I still respect that I vehemently disagree with this point right here. People say Malone has been destroyed in these playoffs as a coach and it's wrong. I do not see this. And I don't get how people can be like, Oh, Denver's playing Clippers and the Kawhi Leonard and Paul George show was just going off. What the hell is Malone doing? Like, that's not what's happening here. And he adjusted so many times in that Utah series. All doc rivers has done is we're going to, to defend Murray more than anybody else and we're going to have Kawhi Leonard and Paul George that's all that he's done Malone's mm-hmm. job of keeping his guys engaged of finding new ways to attack this team and getting his team to buy into it on the fly with no rest in a very unpredictable environment has been so impressive to me and I I, I feel better now than I've ever felt about Michael Malone as a head coach of this Denver Nuggets team 
Yeah. I mean, I think there were some times, cause I know we have, we have this conversation in that first series against Utah where I think that Quinn Snyder was adjustment wise, yes. adjustment wise was doing a little bit more, but I completely agree with you that since I did, I think that was, I think it was game three, game three when yeah. they just got absolutely pummeled other outside of that game. I completely agree. I think Michael Mullen has done a great job. I think you take, you take all these just situations. Like I think of the MPJ comments that were recently said and like, yes, he shouldn't have said them out loud, but we're not going to dive into that. My point with that is Malone has created an environment with his players where players can voice their opinions to their coach and they can have a constructive conversation and come to some kind of resolution. And, you know, after game five, Malone had nothing but incredible things to say about Michael Porter Jr. And I just think that in a lot of situations that could cause rough patches that could cause friction. And I think that Malone, like he's a, he, he's grown, he's grown up in this environment. He understands the importance of having two-way communication with his players and creating that environment where it's like, you are all working together to get to the same place. So if they have a concern from their point of view, he's not going to shut them down. He's going to, maybe they're wrong. And but then still have the he's, at least, he's at least going to hear them out and see what they're saying before writing them off. And to expand on this point, which I think is a great one, Will Barton's not there. Will Barton is, is usually the new. one to do all of these like emotional, um, I don't even know what the fucking term is, readjustments of the team. But not having Will Barton in the bubble and them having to find that ability to find this common ground and work through issues. Not avoid them, not pretend like they don't exist, but to address them and move forward. That's mm-hmm. something the Nuggets team hasn't had to do. Will Barton is the second longest tenure player on this team to Gary Harris only because he was traded for halfway through that season. He has been here as long as anybody and he is the emotional heartbeat. So the fact that they've been able to do this without him is just even more impressive from my eyes and I think I give a lot of credit to Jamal Murray too. Mm-hmm. How many times has Jamal Murray shouted out Michael Porter Jr. in his post-game comments without having any question about Michael Porter Jr. being presented to him. Like, they understand what they need to do to lift each other up and to also hold each other accountable, and that didn't exist in January. I think that that, that is a, this is an example of, at least in these situations, where having this core team for the Nuggets be together for several years now is really an advantage in these yeah. you know dire situations because they understand what to say to people, how to say it to people, how people's brains work. You look at the Clippers, and they've only been together for a year, this team. And I think that that is something that people haven't really talked about. The Nuggets have a huge edge over Los Angeles in this situation where they know each other so well. And I think when you're in winner go home situations like they are now, that is a huge help to them because they understand they just know each other so well. They built this kinship and they built this fight. They've been through things together. They've been through the two seven game series last year. They've been through building, you know, starting from the ground up and drafting all of their key players together. They've been through that stuff. And so I think, you know, you don't have to do, of course you need like some cheerleading and some inspirational stuff that Will Barton does provide. But I think just knowing each other really helps in, in Will Barton's absence. I totally agree. Let's shift to Nikola Jokic because we're like 10, 15 minutes into this and we haven't even mentioned him yet. Nikola in this game went ballistic. Like he had, I think Nick Kosmider, your, your coworker, he tweeted that this might've been the career highs for Sombor shuffles attempted in a game by Nikola Jokic. And I think he was right. Nikola Jokic finished with 34 points, 14 rebounds, seven assists, a steal and a block, was 13 of 22 from the field and hit four of six of his threes. What more? More can you ask from Nikola Jokic? Can we please mention that one of the three pointers was a somber shot? Oh my too. god! It was two of them might have been honestly, but it was just like it's it's. I mean. He went Steph Curry in that second half. It was one of those things where, like, it didn't matter where he threw a ball up from. Like, he could have thought it overhead from behind half court one-handed, and I would have felt like that was going in. That's really how it felt from him, and he just dominated. You talked about dictating the pace of the game and controlling Mm -hmm. it. Nikola Jokic started that, and then Torrey Craig after the game. I I asked him how if if the confidence from winning this game, knowing you were going to get the best Clippers team, would have given you confidence in Game 7, and he proceeded to say, yeah, Nikola Jokic gives us confidence, but regardless of that randomness, uh, Nikola Jokic playing like this, playing free, according to Tori Craig, it bleeds into the rest of the roster. 
Well, I mean, not even just according to Tori Craig. I mean, Nikola Jokic even says that he he plays free. And it goes back to them just not feel like for some reason, they just don't feel that pressure. And Nikola Jokic, and I think we, if, was it you and I? It might have been me and Dave DeFore who were talking about this. We're just too look, much of the same person. You guys look very similar, <laughs> so I, I, I don't know. Shout but we, to Dave okay, DeFore, so we were, good friend. We were talking about, and I have a point to this, I promise. When, when Jamal Murray was going off like crazy, in round one, right? Nikola Jokic got to be whoever the heck Nikola Jokic wanted to be in this series. Yeah. He was the facilitator. He was playing free in that environment. And like, and again, he is playing free, completely different situations and who is scoring really big numbers and stuff like that. But it just shows when he doesn't feel like a certain pressure on him, he can do whatever he wants. That's when he starts forcing offense and chucking up shots that he gets bogged down. But for whatever reason, he feels free as a bird when they might lose and go <laughs> home. So everything that he does just works. And it's, I mean, it's incredible. Uh, going on, I think three years now, I've had this take that the most important trait to a good Nuggets offense is joy. They have to be having really fun. Wholesome and nice. It is, but it's also <laughs> fucking terrible because if anything goes wrong, all of a sudden the offense is like completely out of sorts. But but when they do, like there's there is a salient point here that when the Nuggets just have fun and go play basketball like it's pickup, they're at their best. That is normally mm-hmm. not the case for any NBA team. Nikola Jokic is that unique. Mm-hmm. He is that good. Totally. I mean, what you just said about playing pickup and having that joy is is the other day doc rivers even said he goes you know there's a fine line between playing with your back or like playing for your lives with your back up against the wall and playing really tight yes and that like no like the nuggets never they never lose that like they just like to go play pickup i don't know if i made a good point there i don't really know what i said but like i think i know what you're saying because like even in the utah series they played tighter after they were um they were facing elimination. They realized they had to win. They played tighter. The offense was not like beautifully ran. Like they played better defense and they found just enough ways to be able to right. impact that game. This is different. They just played free in this one. Exactly. And it's when they play like a pickup game and they're just doing whatever. I love it when Nikola Jokic just throws away all the fucks he has to give and just starts doing things because like there's something that like it, it's almost. Like, you know when you're watching a movie and all of a sudden the music picks up and you know something's coming? When Nikola Jokic has a turnover behind the back with, a, with, with, with like trying to make a ridiculous pass, you yes. know something incredible is coming. You know that he is at least dialed in enough to go ballistic. And he did. Like, some of these passes he made tonight were just absurd. And, like, he had the one to Gary Harris where he looked Trez off to the corner. Trez stuck and, like, couldn't move. It was like mm-hmm. somebody was holding him in place. But... Nikola Jokic's scoring. I don't remember Nikola Jokic being this willing to fire away. Like, he was just shooting. Right. And especially, again, for such a sustained amount of time. Because I think that we've seen Jokic do that when it's, okay, we need to win this game. I'm going to close it out right now. You know, they'll be within striking distance. He's like, I'm just going to do it and we'll win the game. We'll be fine. But this was, like, pretty much from the jump ball. Like, I, of course, it did pick up as the game continued on but i there was no real of course and of course the clippers yeah 10 4 and 3 in the first quarter so like you're right exactly there was no moment where i was like well nicole Jokic is out of this game or he's gonna have to flip his switch you know of course the nuggets kind of they had a tough run there in in the second quarter but i mean that happens against elite basketball teams like you just have to kind of of take those shots majority of the team it's one quarter of or majority of the game it's one quarter of the game for sure let's let's shift into into jamal murray because jamal murray on the surface if you just watch the game it looked like he struggled it looked like he was fighting to get anything to work then you go look at the stat line and jamal had 21 points on 9 of 13 shooting which is 69.2 percent very nice one of two from three two of three from the free throw line five rebounds five assists one turnover two steals plus 14 in 40 minutes all of that looks easy when you look at the stat line like that's an incredible game how amazing is it that jamal murray doesn't need to become a nuclear inferno scorer to help this team anymore because that's huge that is a game changer i think that between like this entire playoff season or postseason playoffs (laughs) so far we have seen jamal murray take 
tremendous strides. I the agree. first round, what did we see? We saw that Jamal Murray has what it takes to be that consistent nuclear score. Will he be scoring 50 points per game normally? I'm not going to say that he will. You know, could happen, but you no, know, probably it's not, not happening. But, Just like you Jamal should be 90% from three point range, like you said after happen. his interview. But it's he showed happening. that he has the ability to, sh- to score at a big volume consistently. So that could really translate to 30 points per game consistently. Mm-hmm. What did we learn so far in this Clippers series? That that's not the only thing that he has that can make him like the true leader of this team. He can, he's learning how to be effective and get things done when he's not a scorer. You know, he, has always been known as a pure scorer and he's learning how to be effective in other ways, which is going to be so huge because then in those games where he's not scoring 30, you know, 25 to 30 points, he can still do really, really good things and people won't write him off as inconsistent or a liability on offense for the nuggets or hit or miss or whatever it is. He will still be able to do things and that's what all of the elite point guards do you know when Stephen Curry isn't yes. doing Stephen Curry shooting well he's still having a really positive impact on the game when Nikola Jokic isn't going off yes. on offense he is, is still impacting the game in a really big and important way and if you can get Jamal and Nikola Jokic doing that you know if Michael Porter Jr. is going <laughs> off for a game like that's 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 almost that could be unbeatable yes so in the second quarter, and this is a very specific example, but Jamal Murray is in the weak side corner while Nikola Jokic has the ball on the elbow on the other side of the court. Murray then cl- cuts baseline to come up for the dribble handoff with Nikola. This is as Michael Porter Jr. is in the corner. So mm-hmm. Murray gets the dribble handoff, stops, resets, and looks to Porter, and the whole defense just completely slid over to Michael Porter, and he made an easy pass to Nicola for a floater. Like, when you see him understanding that type of a situation and how he can use the players around him to get the best possible look, that's when he's no longer just a scorer. Like, his feel in terms of just anywhere, because before it was just pick and roll. He grew a ton yeah. in pick and roll, and it looked great, but now it's like, Dribble handoff, isolation, they're doubling. It doesn't matter what they do to him. He's finding ways to help at every single turn. And, like, that stuff won't, won't come up in box scores. Like, I believe yeah. that actually that shot missed. But still, like, it, the fact that he's able to create that leads to what you said, that sustainability that didn't mm-hmm. exist in Jamal Murray's game before. And that's why he can have these games where he only took 13 shots and had 21 points despite Kawhi Leonard and Paul George being on him all night. And that's exactly. the other thing. Everybody, including me, by the way, I knew he could kill Jordan Clarkson and Donovan Mitchell with Mm -hmm. a screen and things like that. That's not not crazy. Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, Patrick Beverly, Marcus Morris, Ivica Zubats. Like, Mm -hmm. that's incredibly difficult to score over any of those five guys. And he has done it. He has handled it. And when he couldn't score, he still found ways to help. I don't think I've ever been this impressed with Jamal Murray. I mean, honestly, I think this series is probably the best thing that could have happened to Jamal Murray. Yes. Especially coming off the the series that he had against the Jazz. This could not have been a better... um, challenge a for Jamal test. Murray yeah. exactly it could not have been better for Jamal and he's he's done a great that's a wonderful point if Jamal Murray does not get his ass kicked by Kawhi Leonard and Paul George and still find a way to help through it do we give credence to what he did in Utah like do I mean, we trust what he did it was it just a flash in the pan or was that like Jamal Murray took a leap well I mean I, I think it, for, some of it depends on who you ask because I've talked to some people who are, are like, well, now Denver is a, a spot for uh, free agents because oh, they God. see that Jamal Murray stayed. And I'm like, okay, well, that, that's getting a little <laughs> too far for, for my liking. However, I do believe that that showed that he, he did take s- steps. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't think that if, if he got his butt kicked by the Clippers, it, it would take away anything from what he did against the Jazz because again in my mind everyone expected the Nuggets butt to get kicked by the Clippers so I think people were giving him all that credit for round one fully prepared for them to lose in five at least five games so I don't think it takes too much away what I think instead it just adds to it like I don't think it would have gone into the negative it's just gone so much more into the positive and the other thing is because what I thought you were asking initials, I don't think Jamal would have taken these steps in being active in other ways than shooting 
if they didn't have to like play the Clippers, if yeah. that makes any sense. Like, I don't think that we would be having this conversation about him finding incredible ways to get involved and to do things about scoring if it, I mean, unless it was another top defensive team with all of these people who I don't even know rotating. what teams are out there. Like the Lakers can't do this to them. Like you're not going to find another team like this. Exactly. So I just think it's another feather in the cap for Jamal Murray. That's a great point. And I, I, I the challenge, the litmus test is, you know, notwithstanding, just the fact that we had, that we had to see it because we've been talking for so long. Are we going to see this Denver Nuggets team play well against a true contender? Not the Trailblazers, not the Spurs, not the Jazz, against the damn Clippers with Kawhi Leonard, who has just destroyed two dynasties single-handedly. <laughs> And that's why I say no matter what happens in game seven, but I mean, especially, well, I guess no, if they <laughs> lose in game seven, you cannot say that this postseason was a bust. You cannot say that. Yes, they would be ending their season in the same spot that they ended it last season. However, they did not play like they have been playing this series. Like it's, it's impossible to compare them. They've taken so many strides this postseason, and I think it would be unfair to say that this season or playoffs was unsuccessful for the Nuggets if they lost in Game 7. Yeah, let's quickly expand on that because this Jazz team that they played this year was better than Portland last year and San Antonio. So it's so like while they're on the same tier, that was a whole different kind of challenge that they have not had to have. And on top of that, it was a team that was specifically created to destroy that type of a Denver Nuggets defense. It was basically like if the Nuggets would have played the Houston Rockets in the first round last year. They play almost the same. So those two things I think are huge. But this Clippers series... I gave them no chance, none, zilch, zero. And I, like, how yeah. many times have we all sat around a table at Pepsi Center and talked about how far can this Nuggets team go? What do they really have in the tank? And all those, like, cliche bullshit. But oh, it was right. always until they play a Lakers or Clippers team. That was exactly. all response from every single person that I have ever spoken to media-wise. How were they here? How exactly. did they do this? Like. It- if you exactly that's it you you come back from a 3-1 series against the jazz okay that's history that's historic yeah. that's okay and then you come back from a 3-1 series against the team or a team that is expected to win it all if you lose like if you lose to them in seven games you better walk out of that arena damn proud of what you just accomplished yeah. like and if anyone says that, then, oh, well, no, let's fire Malone. Let's overhaul this Nuggets <laughs> core. Like, it's time just, it's like, were you just watching everything that just happened? Like, that is absolute, like, ridiculousness. You know I hate fans. Like, this is so known at this point. Like, I can't escape this as a part of my identity as a writer now is that, like, these fan stakes are terrible. And it was so funny tonight because there was a moment in the game where Karan Butler, who, by the way, is good friends with Tim Connolly and has been around the Nuggets organization, like, you know, not, like, involved in them, but, like, has been in Denver having conversations with guys because they're friends quite a bit. So he knows this team pretty well. The whole timeline of Nuggets fans were just, like, fire Malone. And there's, then there's Karan Butler. My Michael Malone is coaching his ass off this series. And I was just like, the, the, the contrast of the two things is just so juicy. And I'm mm-hmm. sorry, fans, you're wrong. Michael <laughs> Malone is not anywhere near worthy of getting fired. That is insanity to me. But let's go back to the more important part. If the Nuggets get blown out by 72 tomorrow on Tuesday, it doesn't matter. This it doesn't whole matter. Season, not just the postseason, the whole season was a resounding success. If, yeah, if anything, if the Nuggets beat the Clippers on Tuesday and make it to the Western Conference Finals, that, that doesn't equal success. That equals, like, overachieving. It like, means that, that we all were wrong about how good this team can be. That's literally everyone. what it means. It mean, yeah, exactly. It means that they were, they're better than everyone expected them to be. You know, if they lose, I think they're still better than people expected them to be. Yes. But if they win... It's, I mean... And there's no asterisk to throw on this either. That's the other thing. Paul George had 33 points on 21 shots tonight. Kawhi Leonard had 25 points on 18 shots tonight. The Clippers only had 13 turnovers. They shot 37% from three on 27 attempts. There is no 
easily or readily available excuse to be like, oh, but the, the Nuggets just got by a bad Clippers team. None of right. it. The Clippers have right. played well in almost every single one of these games, if not the best of their ability, which has happened twice now. And Denver has still managed to push this to seven. I am just blown away, truly blown away. And I wonder how this shifts things going into the offseason. Um, we're not even close to that point of the Can't conversation. Can't even think of it. I'm Can't not even going to go there yet. Um, <laughs> but it does, it does kind of make the conversation <laughs> more interesting about where this Nuggets team is really at but let's we got we have to hit in the Michael Porter Jr. chaos before getting to these questions (laughs) what (laughs) if you were to grade Michael Porter Jr.'s game (laughs) F to A plus what do you give it tonight uh I mean was it the like, most glorious C plus ever? Right. I was going to say like a B minus because they won. If they yeah. lost, maybe I'd downgrade it to a C, but definitely <laughs> in the B minus range. The amount of like, wow, what a rebound. Oh God, why did you take that shot? Oh wow, he rotated perfectly defensively. Wait, why oh, did you run the wrong? No, yeah. What a great steal turns the ball over three seconds later with no defenders in front of him. No, the one that got me was the full court pass to him that went over the shoulder that just like hit the front of his foot and went straight out of bounds. Like the, the chaotic nature of watching Michael Porter so, Jr. I have, to, I have to make a comment about that. So I was watching the game, and my boyfriend was in the room watching the game. Ooh, nice flex and, about the significant and, relationship. No, wow, thanks. Woo-hoo-hoo! And um, no, but because the, the announcers didn't really say anything about it. They kind of said, oh, mistake. And he goes, did they just like not care about the fact that they just like messed up so badly in that pass? And I'm like, I'm glad you recognize that too, because that was really terrible. That was really bad. It's like the, it's like in football when for some reason you have the fullback run a, a wheel route and all of a sudden he's trying to catch a pass over the shoulder and he's just like deer in the headlights, freaking out hands don't know what to do anymore. Like fully, fully felt that way. But Michael Porter Jr. The Nuggets don't win this game without him. They might've also lost it with him, but they don't win it without him. And I don't know how to really quantify that and same goes with game five he had not hit a shot all night long and all of a sudden he's hitting the the <laughs> shot the three-pointer down the stretch and getting the possibly game-winning and it was a in, bad in shot that's the best part it was like a hesitated record scratch contested three-pointer early in the shot clock but man say what you want about michael porter jr the confidence that kid has though like I feel like everyone needs to have some MPJ confidence. No, how bad this world would be if everybody was as confident as Michael Porter Jr. People would be running around out there like they're Jesus, just out there like they're walking on water. Like, I don't know if I can handle that. Like, that would be too much for me. Well, I think when it comes to, like, basketball players and not getting deterred, like, like there again like there's something about him that it's like no matter what people are still gonna say pass it to him he's like (laughs) oh for 10 and they're like no give it to him it doesn't happen with any other person because they know it's like it's like it hasn't affected him the fact that he's oh for 10 right now hasn't affected him give it to him (laughs) like no one else like i can't think of like anyone else who and everyone's like yeah that's a good idea (laughs) Could you imagine being Jamal Murray during this game and watching Porter do the Porter things that existed in this game? Like, again, the Nuggets do not win this game without Porter. No one's running from that. I would be losing my shit as the point guard of a Michael Porter Jr. team. Like, it is just so difficult to wrap my head around the, like, good job, guy. Oh, wait, what the fuck were you doing there? Like, the contrast is never-ending. It's unrelenting, and it's it's kind of amazing. Entertaining. Um, Do you want to move into some questions real quick? I got three questions from listeners, and I can finally drag you into it, which makes it way more fun for me. Here we go. Let's start out with Justin Adams, who is on KOA. He's actually a media member. Um, Yes, I know him. Good guy. I love Justin. Yeah. Um, By the way, XCU player, epic back in the day. Go back and watch some Justin Adams clips. Uh, What changes in the second half led to that comeback in your eyes? I know that literally not even the Nuggets knew, so you're not like on the clock here for a right answer, so... I mean, I, 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 I don't think, I don't think it was anything that happened on the court. I think I like it's probably this. something that someone said, you know, Malone kind of joked in post game. He's like, oh, I gave the, my best 
rousing halftime speech. This is like the fifth time he's made that joke. He's like, he's like, he's my best one yet. (laughs) But like, I, and I don't know if it was Malone, but I do believe someone said something that like, I don't, that lit something under these guys. And I think that that's what really changed. I think they snapped out of whatever, because like the first the, the the start of the game, the Nuggets went on an 8-0 run and they were just like clicking and then it kind, of, it kind of tapered off a little bit. So I think they got out of whatever funk they were in for that quarter and a bit, I'll say. And they, I think they probably just realized, look, we're down 19 points. If we want to come back, it needs to start now. This isn't one of the situations where, okay, we can do a little spurt and then kind of taper off and then but make another spur and catch up again. It's like, no, like this needs to start now and it needs to be consistent all the way through the end, which is exactly what happened. You know, that, that doesn't give too much insight, but that's like, that's, I just think that someone probably had to say something that just fired these people up. I totally agree with this. And I'm currently looking in the actual um, play-by-play trying to find when it happened. But there was a particular play where Kawhi Leonard goes into the paint, tries to put a floater up, and Nikola Jokic rotated over and blocked the shot. That was a moment for me that felt incredibly impactful because Mm -hmm. like Michael Malone said after the game, the emotion that Nikola Jokic displayed in the second half was a big turning point. To follow up on that point, it was Tori Craig who answered my question by saying it was Nikola Jokic's confidence that bled off into all of us. I wonder if it was just Nikola Jokic going out there and being like, we're not losing. And the rest of the team just got in line. There is something about that in sports that'll happen where mm-hmm. your leader will just make a decision, an executive decision, play to back it up, and everybody just gets in line. That's exactly what you saw against Utah. It was just yes. Jamal Murray. He's the one who said, no, everyone stop packing, stop feeling bad for yourself. We are going to win. And then they did. And he backed it up with his play. And I think, yeah, completely possible. And, you know, I think, I, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Malone even said this is the, some of the most, like, emotion that he's seen Nikola Jokic emote. He's not a very emotional guy, especially, like, you know, he will give an occasional, like, He'll he'll give that like barbarian yell that he has. But like, it's it's the most that this team has seen from him and that probably really got people going. So this is an interesting little question that I want to ask to you just like on this topic. Is... Is there a performative factor where people don't take leaders seriously when they get emotional? Like, I wonder with Patrick Beverly. Like, do the Clippers watch Patrick Beverly, like, get all emotional and crazy? And they're like, oh, God, it's time to get motivated. Because it happens, like, every quarter. Or is it like Nikola Jokic once every, like, you know, oh, God, here's a new eclipse this seven years. I, I think it depends. I think, like, if you are the heart and soul of the team... And everyone, you're going around, you know, patting people on the butt, being like, Grah. like, yeah, that might work because that's what you're known for. And then I also think exactly as what you're saying on the opposite end of a spectrum. When you, when you are like the little quiet mousy dude who doesn't ever really, you know, get people going and you're the one doing that, it's like an oh shit moment. Like, yeah. okay, well, if Nicole is going to do it, then I'm going to do it too. I'll so never think, forget talking to Malik. I'll never forget talking to Malik Beasley before he got traded because Malik Beasley, he actually knew Paul Millsap way before he actually got to Denver. So when Malik Beasley was in Atlanta getting to know Paul Millsap and all of those things, he said that he never really is a guy who is a rah-rah guy. He's always, um, he's always the kind of guy who's soft-spoken, but when he does speak you take it very, very seriously because it doesn't happen very often. And it feels like this is kind of in a similar vein. And I wonder if this is Nikola Jokic learning from Paul Millsap. Maybe. Could I be. hope that's the case. Um, let's move on to the next question, though. By the way, shout out to Justin Adams. Good dude. Um, mm-hmm. How many current NBA players would you want over Jokic in the postseason right now? This comes in from Jordan Scott. I'm just going to put you on the spot. I told you before we started recording that you're going to have to get put on the spot. Off the top of your head, how many players are you taking over Nikola Jokic to help you win a playoff series right now? Not many. Well, it's not counting, girl. I'm not here. 
I'm not here to get political answers from you, Kenny. I'm going to make you literally one, two, three, and see what you can get through. How many players? Kevin Durant, right? Probably sure Kevin, Steph Kevin Curry, Durant. LeBron Steph James. Curry, LeBron James. This is where it gets difficult because Giannis, we just watched them get based off of what happened, by the magic. Based off of what happened this postseason, I'm not taking Giannis. I'm not taking James Harden. I'm not taking okay. Russell Westbrook. See, this is where we're getting into the meat. Damian Lillard. I'd probably take Damian Lillard. See, and this is where it gets juicy because it's hard there because Damian Lillard hasn't won in the postseason. Nikola Jokic, by definition, has won more in the postseason at this point yeah. than, than Damian Lillard has. But I get what you're well, saying. Can I take bubble Damian Lillard? <laughs> no, you can't take bubble. Ain't gonna be no. Well, okay, actually, there might be a bubble for a long time. I have no idea. But, but at the same time, like I would say that it's unquestionable that Nikola Jokic is a top five player to choose right now. Here's one that I would absolutely take over him, who was also younger, Luca. Luca, mm. I would absolutely take over Nikola right now. That Are you there be, with Luca? That can be fun. I'm a Luka fan. I'm, I'm, I'm a Luka fan. Do you think he can be better than Nikola Jokic next season? Mm, that's a tough one. I know, and I love it. Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. I'm going to get you to make a hard stance no, in one thinking, of these days. I'm thinking. <laughs> thinking. You got to run for office one of these days. Better? Your ability oh, to God. not answer questions no, is phenomenal. absolutely not. Absolutely not. <laughs> No. <laughs> but for, I'm taking LeBron James for now. Again, this is right now. This is not five years from now. So LeBron, KD, Steph. Um, and then I think I would – and then I think Luka. So I think Jokic is fifth on my list. Wow. That's where I'm at. Wow. He's that good, though. I mean, this he is, is – he, he, is, he has reached over – he's reached career totals of 600 points, 300 rebounds, 150 assists, and fewer postseason games than any other NBA player. That's 27 games that he's done that in. Yep. Last season in the playoffs, he averaged numbers that were only ever touched by Oscar Robertson when he played right. 44 minutes a game in the playoffs. This year, he's actually averaging more points per game. Like, Nicole is in a whole different stratosphere, but... Now that I have already put you on the spot enough, let's move on to the next question. Okay. Chandler Jenkins asks, how was Jamal so effective tonight? Not, not what did he do. How was it that he was able to do all of the brilliance that he had on the court tonight? You want me to go first? I got, I got a big take here. Yeah, go first. The Nuggets screened the shit out of the Clippers tonight. They were putting they bodies into guys relentlessly. And not only that, Denver did a much better job of having off-ball actions to get Jamal moving before he ran the DHO, which got the defense scrambling a little bit earlier than they normally would. Yeah, when you kind of gave more specifics on the more general statement that I was going to say, which is they, they, the Nuggets have been figuring out ways to get Jamal Murray more free and get him involved before he's hit with the wall of defense that he has been hit with earlier on the nuggets are figuring out ways through screening everything more off ball movement to get jamal murray whether it's touches whether it's shots whether it's assists whatever it is to get him to be a factor because in the first game of this series he was a absolute non-factor and the nuggets have figured out how to get him involved through those things that you just outlined one really cool thing Denver did is they ran um, Gary Harris followed by Jamal Murray through dribble handouts with Nikola Jokic. And what that did is they, they had Gary Harris then turn the corner and cut into the lane and Jamal Murray stop before the screen. And then the defense had to choose. Are you either going to split up and, and just switch it right away? Or are you going to try and stick with your guy and rotate, which they ended up switching it. And Jamal Murray got way more opportunities than he normally did. But it was very cool to see Jamal Murray play so well. I cannot believe Denver came back from this game. Kenny, Kendra, I should say Kendra because people Seriously. know where the hell to find you. But Come on. Kendra Andrews <laughs> of The Athletic, do you have any takes that you wanted to add into this conversation? No. That was a lot of fun. We got into some weird shit, and I always as like we, As we do. We always do. Kenny, thank you so much. Please tell the people where to find you with your double underscore randomness. Yes, Kendra, double underscore Andrews on Twitter, single underscore on Instagram, you know, if you want to. <laughs> if you want to get that. out of the more personal form. Um, and then on the athletic, on the NBA vertical, in the Denver vertical, under my author page, 
all that good stuff. Check out The Athletic. They're doing great work. Kendra's doing great work. And over at Rocky Mountain Hoops, they're doing okay work. So keep tuning in here. We're going to keep doing what we can. But thank you so much, Kenny. It was a ton of fun as always. Make sure you read her piece. It'll be out in like, I don't know, whenever after this game. Monday morning, read her piece. It'll be great. <laughs> but thank you so much for, for coming on. And we'll talk to you later. Yes. wait is finally over. Football is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still get in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get on get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads to totals to team player and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on the season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today and take full advantage of all of the great sign up bonuses, including the one we have here at the Blue Wire Podcast Network. That is when you can use promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's Blue Wire, all one word. Bet Online, your online sports book experts. Thank you guys so much for sticking around, for leaving five-star reviews, for leaving comments, for sharing this on social media, for just taking in and listening to this podcast. It means the world to me because I have tons of fun doing it. If you can't tell, like, just from the conversations I've had with Jonathan Jarks, you know, just a few days ago, to all the guys at 213 Hoops, Lucas Han, Robert Flom, and all of them, to having Kendra Andrews and Devalier Johnson and Brendan vote on the show, I truly, truly enjoy talking hoops using this medium, and I appreciate everybody who allows me to do so. So thank you to everybody who sent in questions that Kendra and I were able to answer on this show. Thank you to everybody who then retweets and likes it on social media. And please, 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 anywhere you listen to podcasts where you can then rate said podcast, please give this show a five-star review. Please leave a comment as to why you like it. It helps a ton in terms of growing this podcast. But For now, that's all we got. The Nuggets live to die another day, as Michael Malone said. So on Tuesday night, you're going to see this Denver Nuggets team take on the Los Angeles Clippers for Game 7 of the second round of the Western Conference playoffs with a trip to the Western Conference Finals on the line. We're going to be obviously right back here for all the post-game stuff that you could ever need from that game. But until then, I am TJ McBride from MileHighSports.com. This has been the Rocky Mountain Hoops Podcast, part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. It has been brought to you by Indeed, NFL Sunday Ticket, and Bet Online. And thank you guys very much. Keep wearing a mask. Always, re- always remember that Black Lives Matter. And we will talk to you guys later. <laughs>